Thanks for listening to the Standing Together Ministry Podcast. Our desire is to create a multi-generational conversation in the independent Baptist movement while standing together for truth. The following is a teaching portion from the first ever Standing Together Ministry Summit in September of 2018. We would love to see you at the next summit on April 1st and 2nd at Franklin Road Baptist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can learn more and register at stsummit.com. That's stsummit.com. Now, prepare to grow as you listen to this episode of the Standing Together Ministry Podcast. Okay. Well, I'm going to do what uh, we teach our students not to do and what I would criticize people for doing. I'm going to use a verse and I'm going to depart far from it probably, but anyway, and this is not preaching and I am going to honor the time, so we went down about 20 till, is that correct? I believe that's right, about 20 till, okay, so we don't have time to waste and I need to get right with it here. But the idea is, you don't have to turn in your Bibles, the idea is uh, to be preachers of the Word. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge uh, the quick and the dead at His appearing, preach the Word. And um, there is a lot of preaching that is maybe about the Word. You can preach about the Word, but that's not the same as preaching the Word. And there is a lot that is preaching from the Word, but that's not always preaching the Word. And our job is to preach the Word, not use the Word, preach the Word, see. And so in that, through the process of time that I certainly don't have time to go into, I kind of stumbled into what is called expository preaching. And uh, the way that happened was I was pastoring my first pastorate in 1974 in Stillwater, Oklahoma at the Bible Baptist Church. And I would get up and I would have a text and I would preach and I would preach. And I would stomp and romp and carry on and throw a fit. And it got to where while it was a very small and a church we didn't start but almost started over uh, had uh, three men in it. One of them we had uh, led to the Lord, and he was uh, working on his Ph.D. in animal science. So he'd been through quite a journey. Another one was in the Navy, and he was there, sent to Oklahoma State University by the Navy to earn his Ph.D. in what field, I, I don't remember. The other one uh, was there uh, as a instructor, an instructor, and head of research in entomology at uh, Oklahoma State University. So these three guys had all been uh, educated well in terms of secular education. And so these three men were there after I'd been there about a year. They were all there at the same time, and I would preach and preach. And it kept happening time and again where one of them would come and say, "Never, never with a bad spirit. But they would come and say, you know, Brother Sam, I agreed with everything you said. But that's not what I see in that passage. I'm trying to figure out how you arrived at what you said based upon what I see this passage means. 
And what I'd done is basically did like I had seen my pastor do for seven years and just get up, and nobody ever questioned him. He did it in such a way that you didn't want to mess him. So at that church, it was pretty much, how do you know that's true? Because he said it. Well, I was 28 years old, and people weren't inclined to believe stuff because I said it. You know what I mean? And I, I couldn't say it quite like he said it. And so they kept saying that, and I'd kind of wiggle my way around and, and uh, try to get away from it and so forth, and I'll explain it to you later, I would tell them, which later never came. And uh, so anyway, every time I'd study then, I started thinking, I've got to see what this is really saying here, because one of those guys can ask me, it gets embarrassing after a while when you're a pastor and they're showing you that you're not really saying what the Bible says. Is everybody with me here? And so I started doing that. Well, the idea was I would start with an idea and go to the Bible. And lo and behold, this may shock some, but I actually found better ideas <laughs> from the text of the Scripture in its context than the idea I was starting with. And so what I have grown to teach all the time is we don't start with our thoughts and go to the Bible. We go to the Word of God and find the intent and the thoughts of the biblical writer. And when we find the intent and thoughts of the biblical writer, we have found the intent and thoughts of God who inspired the biblical writer. Then we can preach with biblical authority. And uh, so that's kind of where I, I went. I got introduced one time as an expository preacher, and I didn't even know what the word meant. I did not know. I did not know what they even meant. All I knew is my pastor used to tell me, Sam, yes, sir, expository preaching is the lazy man's way. And I would say, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And I didn't know what it meant, and he didn't know what it meant, <laughs> as I found out. So it's certainly not the lazy man's way, I'll tell you that for sure. But nonetheless, uh, when, and, and I teach uh, on a regular you know, basis at the college, I teach expository preaching, and that's basically all I teach. And, um, but um, basically it has to do with the fact that we uh, select a passage, and once we've selected the passage, we study the passage in its historical and uh, in its literary and grammatical context and setting, and, and, um, and then we uh, are in search of exactly what the passage is talking about. It's called the subject. Every block of thought that we would choose has a subject. And then uh, once you find the subject, which I always pose the subject in the way of a question, and then uh, the compliments will answer the question, which is the subject that we have discovered from the study of this text in its context. And so once you do that, you have the subject, this is what the writer is talking about, and the compliments, this is what the writer is saying about what he's talking about. Subject, compliments. Then we are challenged to put the, uh, the two, subject and compliments, together in a sentence, in a compact sentence that will describe what we will call the central idea of the text. Or some call it the exegetical idea, some call it the big idea. I'm not really concerned about what anybody calls it, just that we find it. And that is, we're, here is in one sentence what this is about. 
And so this is the process, and then you analyze that. When you analyze the, uh, the uh, central idea of the text that you have done, when you analyze that, then basically what you're doing is you are coming to the place where you are asking, now, this is what I say this text is about. Can I explain this to someone? Can I prove it from the passage? Can I prove this? Can I help somebody come with me, take them into the passage and prove? Here is what the writer is talking about. And here is what he is saying about what he is talking about. Put it in one sentence. Can I prove that this exegetical idea here is, in fact, uh, what the writer is saying? Can you prove it? And then the third thing is, ask yourself, can I apply it? Can I apply it? And so if we cannot find a way to apply it, then we don't have a sermon to preach. You may have a talk to give. You may have a lecture you want to give. But it's not preaching unless we're applying it. See, And so we're going to ask the question, can I apply this? Now, here's where I'm going today. Uh, what I would like to talk about today is the matter of application because uh, I have actually sat in places and sat in meetings where somebody did a masterful job with the text. I mean, they did a masterful job. They studied it. They found the hard places. They gave proper explanation. Uh, they did great exegetical work. You can see clearly the intent of the biblical writer but just because something is done well in the exegetical process there, just because it's done well there, doesn't necessarily make it an effective sermon unless there is application. It's sort of like one man said that you, when a man goes hunting, you want something in the shell that you're shooting. And I used to do some quail hunting, and uh, I, uh, I would use a 12-gauge. Real hunters would use a 16 or a 410, but I used a 12-gauge only because I couldn't find a 10-gauge. But anyway, 12-gauge uh, and number eight shot, and that means you're going to get a good pattern. But what if, they, what if you put in shells that don't have any load in it? All it has is the powder, and it makes this big boom, and you hope a quail dies of a heart attack because of fear. And that's the only way. So what you want to do is make sure there's something in it and you want that shell to make application to that quail, and when it does, it'll come down, and you got you some food there, see. And so we're not preaching to make a noise. We're not preaching to make sound. We're not preaching to take up 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, if you can preach in 30 minutes. And, and, and that's not what we're about. And what we're really interested in is the application. And I have to tell you that if you looked at the sorry little outline I gave there, I really believe that in a much of today's preaching, that the missing component is strong biblical application. Strong biblical application. And um, so I'm, I'm going to visit with you about that. Now, uh, as you study and as you read the Bible, just, just answer the question, is this true or not true? That what you and I really appreciate about many of our heroes is the way that they had the confidence and the assurance and the boldness to make application. And uh, if, you, if you look at the 
preaching that some of the examples that we have, I'm thinking of Peter on the day of Pentecost. That's always a famous sermon to, retur- uh, to refer to. And, and, and they did not, the men did not say, uh, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they were convicted. They had this persuasion in their heart. They didn't say that because he threw out some general ideas and hoped they could connect the dots. They said that because he laid right squarely at their feet the responsibility for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's the kind of application that Peter made in his preaching. He put them, the reason they felt guilty is because they were guilty, and the reason they were dealing with it at that particular time is because Peter had the fortitude to confront them about their sinfulness and about their unbelief and about the fact that they called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He didn't just give them a bunch of facts and hope they got it. May God apply these things to your hearts. No, he applied it in the power of the Holy Ghost. I said he applied it in the power of the Holy Ghost, and that's what he did. And so in in my estimation, many, many sermons failed, not because there was not proper study, not because there was not proper hermeneutical practice, not because there was not proper exegesis, but because there was a failure to apply clear biblical application. Did you ever hear somebody, or did you ever preach perhaps, and somebody says, wow, wow, I've never heard that before. Well, two things are possible. One is they never heard anybody really biblically handle the text, or two, the preacher did something fanciful and wrenched the scripture to why there's a reason they never heard that before. It's not what the scripture is saying. You see what I'm saying? And so when we talk about all that other stuff in preparation, the likelihood of us making biblically sound application, having not done the biblically sound hermeneutical practice and the exegesis, uh, that's not going to work very good. But at the same time, it's a waste of time, or it can be a waste of time, if an individual studies and gets everything accurate, everything true, everything right, and doesn't deliver the application. Now, I'm going to throw out a couple ideas as to why there is so much difficulty in application. And uh, one thing that, is, uh, that seems clear to me is there is often not good application because there is a lack of of conviction, a lack of conviction. With whom? The preacher. <clears throat> to try to act like we can preach effectively without matters being spiritually right in our own life is a real fallacy. That's a terrible mistake. And a lot of times there are men that stand behind pulpits and all of us have found ourselves in this place that before I can preach this genuinely, sincerely, and truly, I have to get some things right with God. And that's part of the definition that I like that Haddon Robinson gives on expository preaching, that these things that we discover and that we find is first applied by the power of the Holy Spirit to the preacher and then through the preacher to the congregation. And if we try to bypass that part, then we're going to be performers and not Bible preachers. 
see. And so I think a lot of times a sermon fails uh, not because there's not proper exegesis and all of that again. Uh, not because there's not proper effort in understanding the passage, even being true and accurate to the passage, rightly dividing the word of truth, but it fails because there is not the personal conviction there that this is going to change people's lives. And uh, I remember an individual that I love very much, was dear to our family, and, and uh, in this uh, in this individual's uh, uh, philosophy and everything of ministry, I was kind of concerned about which direction they were going to go. Are they going to follow the current trends, and are they going to be true to the Scripture, or what's, where are they going? And I remember while praying about it and concerned, uh, one time my wife and I were visiting. I said, I'm going to tell you one thing that, uh, that gives me consolation. And she said, what is that? And I think it will work and take care of itself. And she said, what's that? And I said, this person, is, he is committed to preaching the Word of God. He is committed to rightly dividing the Word of truth. And if he is sincere about it, the Word will change him in the process of time. And you know what? That happened. That happened. And, and uh, it wasn't that, well, there's just a maturity there. Look, we sing the song and say amen to the song, God's Word changes life. Well, that is very, very true, but if it's not changing the preacher's life along the way and in the process, then there's something about our sincerity. There's something wrong with our genuineness and our sincerity because it'll change us before we ever stand up here to talk to somebody else. And I think there's a lot of times, there are a lot of times that there is not the proper application uh, simply because there's not the conviction a man is not persuaded in himself or let the word of God change him. And if he is resistant to what God is calling upon us uh, to be and to do and to put away and to put on, if we resist what God's doing in our own life, then we're not apt to make really strong uh, application to the people of God like it needs to be strong. I want to agree with what uh, Brother Van Gildren said this morning, and I, I agree with this 100%. There has never, since the fall, there has never been a climate in this world, when I'm talking about not just the globe, but the worldly mindset, there's never been a favorable climate for preaching the Word of God, for saying, thus saith the Lord, for godly living. It's always an opposition. I mean, come on, that is an elementary truth of the Word of God. And so there are those that have been so uh, trained and so uh, have so shaped their minds and their thinking by whatever influences that we have to kind of tiptoe around. Well, can't we see in our world this is no time to tiptoe around? It is not. There's no time in this country. It's no time in churches. Uh, Brother Chapel's going to preach on the Laodicean church, and whether you are into uh, each church representing a specific uh, time in church history or not, you have to admit this, the Laodicean of all churches ought to really speak to a lot of, of our churches to, at this day and time. Uh, most absolutely. And in a time like the Laodicean age, if you believe such a thing, or amongst Laodicean type churches, if there's anything we need, it is clear application to the Word of God. Clear, strong application to the Word of God. And sometimes I believe there's a lack of conviction and closely associated with it is the lack of boldness. Boldness. Come on, if you're serious about being a Bible preacher, surely you've said, well, this is where I am in the passage. And lo and behold, look what's going on in our church right now. Now, if I preach this, I'm going to stir up a hornet's nest in this church. 
what would the church need besides what the Word of God says at that particular time? Well, I know, but I know it's going to get some people upset. Now, that would be something new, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sorry for the sarcasm. Not everybody appreciates sarcasm. No, I mean, have you read your Bible about preachers and prophets? And uh, did everybody appreciate it? Were they always loved? Were they popular? I love what old brother Don Green from up in Lansing, Michigan said one time when he was preaching at Southwest Baptist. And, uh, and at the college, old brother Don Green got up and said, I just want to tell you right now, long ago I, dis I divorced myself from the influence of public opinion, whether that public opinion is the congregation I'm standing in front of or the, or the public opinion that's out there. I've divorced myself from the influence of public opinion. Dear Lord, have mercy. We need men that will stand in the pulpit and have the boldness to apply the word of God. Acts 7, Stephen is given opportunity to speak to the council. Boy, what a masterful job. Come on, you've read the history there, and you're thinking, man, this guy's waxing eloquent. And all of that counsel, all that time, all that time, all of that counsel has to be sitting there. Well, yeah, that's right. That's true. Well, that, that's, he, he's exactly right. Maybe they, they, kept, they were looking for something to kill him for, you know. Well, he gave it to him. <laughs> when did he give it to him? When he made the application, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. Come on. And he made the application. Now, all application doesn't have to sound exactly like that. <laughs> but it needs to be that clear. I said it needs to be that clear. And it needs to be that bold. Do you remember... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm already done. But do you, do you remember... Do you remember, uh, you remember here in, uh, in your younger day, uh, boy, I remember those Texas preachers would come up to Oklahoma, our pastor was from Texas, started the church in my little hometown, and all he'd bring up is Texas preachers. Those guys come up there, and they had uh, cowboy boots, and I mean, they'd stand on the, uh, on the front pew, and they'd preach, and I mean, they'd preach, and they would say things like, you may not like what I'm saying, you old hen, but I'm going to skin your tail feathers while you're here. You know, stuff like that. I remember thinking, yeah, that's preaching, that's preaching. And what I used to think about those men is they were all so very, very bold. They were bold. But I uh, found out some of them were just mean, you know. And then they didn't do holy boldness. They just loved getting in your face. But the word bold does have to do with courage. And if you'll study the definition, which I'm sure many of you have, but if you study the definition, it has the courage to say all. The courage to say all. All that needs to be said. All that needs to be said, including the application. And I would hate to think, spending hours and hours to rightly divide the word of, the, uh, uh, divide the word of truth, do all the work necessary to be true to the Scripture and then not bring it home in application in the clearest of terms, that reduces a sermon to a speech. We don't need speech makers standing in pulpits across this country right now. We need preachers with the conviction and with the boldness to say what the Word of God says and how that applies to where you're sitting.
I learned long ago, people don't mind if you say, uh, be holy, for I am holy. In all, in all manner of conversation, be ye holy. Thus saith the Lord, in all manner of conversation, be ye holy. People don't mind if you preach that God is holy. They don't even mind you preaching that people ought to be holy, as long as you don't tell them what it looks like. And what they're supposed to do with it when they walk out the door. Now that's where the rub comes in. See, and that's where the conflict comes in. And that's where too many have backed off. And my prayer continually is. My prayer continually. And when I pray for not only churches that I'm in love with or that I'm preaching at on a particular Sunday, but churches that are indeed the churches of an authentic New Testament Baptist church, that there will be men standing in the pulpit with the boldness to make strong biblical application to the hearers. It's no time to tippy-toe around. I said it's no time to tiptoe around. It's time to just... Let them have it. Yeah, but these are very difficult times. Yeah, did you ever see the conditions in which some of our favorite prophets preached? Well, their ministry was greatly needed because of those times. And somebody said, and I'll close with this, but somebody said, our preachers today have become experts at almost saying something. We don't need experts at almost saying something. This word of God needs to come home clear. This is what it says and this is what it has to do with you. One of the signs of the lack of boldness is and so we all and we and we and nobody says you. Remember them talking about those old preachers pointing that finger out there? Well that doesn't go over in this society. Well it's still this thing that's needed. No I'm not kidding you. It's still, it's still the thing that needs to be brought home to them. I get, I get weary going to fellowship meetings and saying and the latest trend is this. So we all follow and so the music's going that way, so we all follow, and then we all follow, and I want to raise my hand and say, speak for yourself, bud. What do you mean, we all follow? If you mean we all do, then, then I need to talk to you, because we all ain't doing that. <laughs> but if you mean some of you guys, then say, some of you are. Oh, now wait a minute, that's, that's mean-spirited. Well, you can do it mean-spirited. But there needs to be that kind of a clear, bold application. To me, that's, that's one of the, a major missing component in 21st uh, century preaching, even among our crowd. I'm not talking about Episcopalians and all that. I don't expect anything out of them. And most uh, are called Baptists. But I would expect out of our crowd that our pulpits be hot and that they be confrontational prophecy or prophet preaching. It's, it's the need of this hour. We hope this episode has been helpful to you and that you'll subscribe to our podcast. You can connect with Standing Together on Twitter and Facebook, where we hope you will take a moment to share this podcast with your friends and followers. And remember, we'd love to see you at the next Standing Together Ministry Summit on April 1st and 2nd in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. For more information, visit us at stsummit.com. That's stsummit.com. Thanks again for listening.